Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Buddha Pod. I'm Catherine. Hello, everybody. I'm Andrew, and today we'll be talking about Buddhist precepts. So to start, earlier today I looked up the definition of precept. A precept is a noun, and it's defined as a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought. And in a lot of other major religions, they actually have some sort of moral code similar to Buddhist precepts. So in Christianity and Judaism, they have the Ten Commandments, and for us, we have the precepts. And according to the Sutra on the Buddha's bequeathed teachings, the Buddha taught his disciples to regard the precepts as their teacher after he passed into nirvana. So with that, we might think, why are the precepts important? Why are these things that we have to follow? And sometimes the question might come up, is the Buddha going to punish me in some way for not following these precepts? But we can understand the precepts as part of a much larger structure. And so in Buddhism, we have what are called the three practices. And these three are the precepts, the practice of precepts, the practice of concentration, and then the practice of wisdom. By starting with the precepts, we build a foundation so that we can improve our meditation and develop wisdom. So I think you can think about this in terms of, say, trying to get fit, right? If you're trying to get to a certain level of wellness, you start by looking at your current behavior. And a lot of times, the things that we eat aren't really healthy. It might be a lot of junk food, fast food, chocolate cake, and ice cream. And these are things that we have to cut down on because they're ultimately harmful to us. And so these are like the precepts. You start by cutting those things out of your life. And then with that, you're also eating more healthy food, like, I don't know, your vegetables, getting enough healthy protein and all of that. And then once you get that done, you start working out too. And then this is sort of the other Buddhist practices, either studying, reading sutras, reciting the Buddha's name, being mindful of the Buddha and practicing meditation. You add all of these things and eventually you reach that goal of developing wisdom or in the analogy's case, developing a fairly high level of fitness. Going back to the analogy, looking at what you eat, like once you do start eating healthier, then your behavior changes too because of your mood changes. So precepts are definitely a very important part of starting a Buddhist practice. Mm -hmm. And then something else that I think we should probably mention is that the precepts aren't things that we impose on other people. These are precepts that we take willingly for ourselves. So in Buddhism, the Buddha isn't really going to get mad at you. There's no direct punishment from the Buddha for breaking the precepts. These are actions that will lead to complications later down the road. So I think in the analogy we were talking about, the Buddha is like the doctor, right? So the Buddha is the doctor looking at your eating habits, and he says, you know, if you're going to continue on this much fast food, you're probably looking at high cholesterol and diabetes later down the line. He's not mad at you for eating unhealthy. He's just concerned that your behavior is going to lead to not very good results. And so as the patient, we ourselves have to take on the impetus to sort of make that change for ourselves. Okay, in the doctor analogy, even if you don't go to the doctor and the doctor 
can't tell you that you'll get diabetes and cholesterol for eating all of these junk foods, it doesn't mean that you won't. In terms of taking precepts, for example, the first of the five precepts is no killing. Just because you didn't take the precept of no killing, it doesn't mean that when you kill, there are no consequences. So there are still laws in society that will punish you for doing these bad deeds. And I think a lot of times, depending on the level of killing and whatnot, these are things that stay with us in our memory too. And they oftentimes come back to harm us or to sort of haunt us. So you might be really racked with a lot of guilt after breaking these precepts. And especially if we're trying to practice meditation, when we're sitting and trying to focus on the breath, a lot of things tend to come up from our past. And it's best to have minimized all of these things so that we can meditate and concentrate a lot easier. Mm-hmm, for sure. And so let's get into the five precepts. These five precepts are the most fundamental precepts as Buddhists. Everyone should observe them. And of course, for lay people and for monastics, we have different precepts. The first one, actually, before I get into that, um, the purpose of the five precepts, not to limit you or to limit your freedom. The intent behind it is that we should not harm others and we should respect other people. So when we look at the five precepts, the first one is to refrain from killing. The second one is to refrain from stealing. The third one is to refrain from sexual misconduct. The fourth one is to refrain from lying. And then the last one is to refrain from intoxication. And when you look at these precepts, it doesn't seem like a hard thing to do. I would say that most of them, when we take the five precepts, we're not going to break them on a day-to-day -day basis. It is hard to uphold them completely. So, for example, today, Andrew and I were supposed to record our podcast at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And I told him that I was on my way home from Temple. And actually, I was still at Temple. I was sitting in my chair still, and I hadn't moved. And it was already like 4.58 like Pacific time, and I was still sitting there. So um, that was kind of a lie. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> um, and I don't I don't even know why I lied. I guess to like create the illusion that I'm <laughs> somehow on time. <laughs> I broke a precept. Like I lied about being on the way. It may seem harmless now, but later on, if I if I keep building this habit, then it's not going to be good for my future because people aren't going to trust me with being punctual. And so there are consequences, no matter how small the violation is. Definitely. I mean, not that I'm going to hold that against you, but I think a lot of people in this world wouldn't hold that against you. And I, I suppose if you had done it to me a hundred times over, I would probably just ignore you when you said that you're just going to come home from temple right now because I would know that you're not. And that's not, some, that's not something that we want to cultivate, right? Exactly. And I'm trying really hard to work on it. It's just a part of my personality right now. But the thing is, is that in Buddhism, personalities and behaviors are all very moldable. And so even though we might have a certain habit right now, and even those those habits might be really hard to break, 
they're not impossible to break. And so if we put in the effort and we, if the conditions are right, we'll start to actually change. And with that, we change our lives as well and our lifestyles. Yeah. And changing your behavior for the better is not only for your own benefit, but it also makes other people feel at ease and it builds your own reputation as well. Definitely. So back to what you were talking about earlier with, on one hand, it's difficult to completely break the five precepts. Most of us aren't going to go out and murder someone, rob a bank and do a bunch of terrible things. It's also really hard to, like you said, keep the precepts completely without any sort of minor violation. And so when we talk about the precepts, we have what are major violations, which are breaking precepts in their entire form, like murdering another fellow human being or robbing a bank. Um, those would be very major violations, but we all tend to do some sort of minor violation as we're learning how to keep our precepts and how to maintain our precepts. So for example, you can consider being late even a very minor violation of the precept of no killing, because even though you're not taking someone's life, you're taking five minutes away from their life that they could have spent doing other things and living. And so that's considered a very small violation. Mm -hmm. Another part of the precepts is whether your intention is there. So for example, if you said something to someone meaning to hurt them versus you said something to someone and they took it the wrong way, but you didn't have that intention, if you do it unintentionally, it's not as severe as breaking them intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think anybody is going to keep the precepts entirely, especially when people are first starting out. I had thought that by going through a precept ceremony, somehow I would just come out a morally perfect person at the end of it. But taking the precepts is a starting point. Once you receive the precepts, that's when you start realizing that a lot of your behavior is actually really harmful. But it's through taking these precepts that we start noticing these and we start reflecting on our own actions and learning from our mistakes. Yes. And when you do break a precept, it's not that you just dwell on these mistakes forever because that's not beneficial to anyone, but you can repent. Like say if you, if you actually did break a precept and you feel bad about it, that's the first step. And if you learn how to repent, it's kind of like, Venerable Master Xingyun, he compared repenting to adding water to salt. So, for example, if you only have a glass of water and you add salt to it, it's going to be really salty. But if you have a bathtub full of water for that same amount of salt, you can barely taste the salt. So by repenting, you're actually, you know, moving on from these mistakes so that you can improve the precepts don't allow us to stay ignorant. It tells us the actions that we're doing wrong, and they allow us to look back, reflect, and change for the better. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that story, Verbal Master Shingun retold it, but it actually comes from a sutra. So it's one of the things that the Buddha taught as well as an analogy. And I think part of the thing with repentance is that some people might find it odd or very difficult to bring up these things that they've done and tell other people about it. 
And I think repentance has to be done with a sort of consciousness of what you're doing in the repentance. It's not to beat you over the head again and again with a mistake. It's to prevent that. It's so that you don't bring it up over and over again. For example, if you had hurt someone in the past, if you bring it up to them and you apologize for them, that's the first step to changing and preventing similar mistakes from happening again. For me, like my form of repentance is apologizing to that other person because I am late a lot. Even when they don't think it's a big deal, I'm holding myself up to like a standard and I want to change this behavior of mine. So I will bring it up to them and I'll say, I'm sorry, I did this and this and I won't do it again. By changing these small things, I won't allow bigger bad habits to form. Definitely. I think the other thing about repentance is that sometimes, and I've seen this before as well, and I, I don't quite understand sort of the mechanisms behind it, but sometimes when we're repenting, our mindset might not be quite conducive to it. We'll kind of say it as sort of a brag like, hey, I lied today. And that kind of counts as a repentance because you're saying it and you're admitting it to someone and you're like, I'm sorry I lied to you. But it, it doesn't have that sort of sincerity or sort of that genuine feeling behind it. And so I think when we're talking about the precepts, it's a matter of being very honest to ourselves. Whether or not we are upholding the precept, whether or not we, are, we have broken the precept, we have to check ourselves because ultimately we're the ones who are responsible and we have to be really honest about that and sincere about it too when we're admitting it to other people. Yeah, like we said earlier, there's not going to be an outside force where they come and punish you. We have to bear our own consequences. So once we can be honest with ourselves and admit our mistakes, that's when the real growth will come. And I think lastly, just to wrap up this repentance section, just because we've repented it doesn't mean that we are waived of all consequences. So the example I tend to use is if you were to hurt someone and you apologize to them, if you repent to them, does that mean that everything reverts to how it was before? And the answer is no. They might feel that since you've apologized, they're willing to forgive you and they might not dislike you as much anymore, but the effect is still there. And so we have to be very careful. And of course, the best thing to do is to prevent these situations from happening. You don't want to put yourself in any of these situations, but none of us are perfect. And so when we do hurt others and when we do violate the precepts, it's very helpful to have repentance as a way to move on from it. Yeah, I think people would like to see results as well. Like say if you hit someone one time and you apologize, like they might forgive you. But if you keep hitting them day after day, then they're going to think like, bro, why <laughs> you haven't changed? What's the point of you apologizing? So you repent for your past wrongdoing, but you also vow to not do that thing in the future. Definitely. And I think with repentance, if you repent for something, and then you fall back into doing the same thing over again. The repentance hasn't really worked all the way. True repentance is not just 
admitting what you've done, but changing it so that you don't make the same mistake again. And sometimes, again, with sort of really habitual habit or really long-standing habits, um, these are hard to break and these are hard to change. But with perseverance, I think we can all change our behavior and our habits for the better. Yeah, for sure. So when a lot of people hear precepts, they see the refrain from so-and-so, but actually us Buddhists, we're not that passive. We can actually look at the precepts in a proactive way. So for example, the first one, no killing, we can also see that as protecting life. There's a practice, I've seen it in Asia more, but people will buy maybe fish from the market because like they're still alive and they'll release it back into the wild or even vegetarianism, not eating meat and not causing any future killings of animals. That's also a proactive form of the no killing precept. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the thing with releasing wildlife is that it was a thing in the Buddhist time because species only got so far before they were captured. And so when they were released, it would still be in their native environment. Nowadays, we ship fish and wildlife all over the place. So you have to be really careful with how you release life because otherwise you're just destroying another animal's habitat. And so in recent years, there have been a lot of issues with releasing life and the go-to sort of way of protecting life nowadays is just vegetarianism. Mm -hmm. And then moving on to the next one, instead of stealing we should give generously and practice generosity. And of course, this is going to vary by what we give and how much we are able to give. But giving in Buddhism isn't necessarily material giving. There's a whole bunch of things that we can give. And so giving can be free. If you are a really poor college student like I am, you can give your time and volunteer for a good cause, for example. You can give kind words of encouragement to other people or even give a smile and probably brighten someone's day. Mm -hmm. And if someone is going through a hard time, you can give them advice and to kind of lift their spirits and give them some real solutions so that it's able to help them. And that's also a form of giving. And then for the next one, so for sexual misconduct, instead we can respect others and encourage everybody to be respectful of other people and other people's bodies. Yeah, it's not really about who you should and shouldn't have a relationship with. It's about consent. It's about like knowing that the other person has given consent and um, respecting another person and their decisions so that you don't violate their privacy or like their bodies. And then moving on to the next one, um, no lying. I mean, I don't believe that there's anyone in this world who doesn't tell a white lie every now and then. But the no lying can also be translated to being transparent with the person that you're talking to and speaking kind and helpful words. So not not speaking in a way that would hurt other people. And that's also a practice of no lying. So for the last one in uh, no intoxication, the idea of this is to keep our minds clear. 
so that we can always be aware of what we're doing. And so instead of drowning ourselves in the intoxication of either alcohol, drugs, or even things like the world of games and fantasy and all of that, we should train ourselves to be clear mentally. And so we can do this by just practicing awareness and mindfulness of everything that we do. Yeah, I think a big habit of our generation is that we tend to stay on our phones a lot, no matter where we go. Like, like maybe you're on a bus and then you're just on your phone or even at home. I find myself wasting a lot of time just scrolling through social media or just on my phone doing random things. And that's a form of intoxication because I'm not starting my day. I'm just letting myself be in this world of cell phones and social media. So by observing this precept, you can think of, you know, I'm not going to stay on my phone until 12 o'clock and then start my day. Actually getting up and going about my day and being productive. So the other thing that we wanted to talk about was it's actually a story that I remember hearing from Venerable Yi Kong, who's been a nun for many, many decades at this point. And this was last year over the summer. She was giving a lecture to our summer retreat class. And so you have, what, like a dozen or so young, roughly college-age kids listening. And so she was saying that if you think of yourself as a Buddha, you won't break a precept. Because when you think about it, whatever you do, with whatever you do, if you think of yourself as a Buddha, you would think, would the Buddha do this? So, for example, would the Buddha be spending five to six hours a day, actually not even, probably like 12, 13 hours a day staring at his iPhone? Probably not, right? The Buddha would be really active in helping others and spreading the Dharma. And so her example was that if you think of yourself as the Buddha, even little habits like shaking your leg uh, when you're sitting down are things that the Buddha wouldn't do. So could you imagine the Buddha sitting on the throne of awakening and teaching to a whole bunch of disciples who are gathered there to listen to the Dharma, and the Buddha is just shaking his leg? (laughs) No, like, he would never do that. It's such a ridiculous scene. And when we think about it, it's such a ridiculous scene. So when we put ourselves in the position of the Buddha, as that's what we're all trying to be, or that's what we're aspiring to be, it's really easy to think, oh, the Buddha would never do that. And so I should also not do that. Yeah, definitely. It's just hard to get to that point right now. Oh, yes. I know the Buddha would never be late, but still. Sometimes the, the thing that I often come across is um, I'll tell myself, would the Buddha do such and such? I would say, no, the Buddha would not do such and such. But you know what? I'm not a Buddha right now, so I'm going to do it. It's usually when I'm really angry and I'm trying to hold my tongue, but I'm like, you know what? The Buddha would say a very kind and compassionate thing right now, but I'm just going to say something back to this person because they're not going to get away with it. And it doesn't end up well. So it's hard. I get it. I think we all struggle with the precepts. There really hasn't been anybody that I've met that doesn't struggle with precepts or has not struggled with precepts in the past? Yeah, it's not really the big things. It's the everyday, like, interaction with people. 
Honestly, the precepts help with my relationships with people. A lot of me, like, breaking the precepts not something that's major. But if I were to change my habits, and it would definitely make me a better person, and other people will see that. Like, they'll definitely like me better. They'll see me in a new light. I think it's true. I mean, I had an experience when I did my six-week summer retreat fresh out of high school. A lot of my relatives thought that I had become a monk, like for real became a monk. And so one afternoon, they drove to the temple and were like, where's Andrew? And then <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm here. So I went to go see them. And at first they were all kind of shocked. They're like, what do you mean you're not a monk? You're, you're bald. You're wearing these weird robes. Like, what do you mean you're not a monk? And I was like, no, 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 don't, don't worry. I'm going to go to college. I'm not a monk right now. Like, chill. And then after that, we started talking. And then by the end of the 30-minute encounter, they, one of my aunts mentioned something like, it's weird. Like, over the course of a month at this point, you seem to have changed a lot. And something just feels different. And then I thought, oh, that's nice to hear. But... Mm-hmm. It's not like I had changed a lot of my minor habits, like my posture, the way that I speak, and sort of the retreat had changed my perspective on things. And so I think all of that was very apparent to my relatives, and it inspired them too, and it gave them a very good impression of what Buddhism was about. Like, no, the temple did not kidnap their nephew. I was mm-hmm. fine. And I was doing really well, actually. And that's one of the things that learning from the precepts and the regulations can help with. Yeah, and I feel that living at the temple for a really long time, you learn to have these etiquettes that maybe normal people wouldn't have. And it just really gives you a nice in the image. And also it gives them faith and confidence that being at the temple, being a Buddhist is a good thing. So, yeah, next episode when we talk about etiquette, it's something that is on the outside, but it also helps with your mind on the inside. Yes, we will talk about etiquette next time. And actually, this episode and the next episode are both from requests from the audience. And so if you have any requests, please let us know and we'll incorporate them into Budapod. Mm -hmm. Thank you to Leanne, who has been transcribing our podcast for us. And thank you to Kyla, who has been uploading our podcast onto YouTube. Thank you for all your hard work. And again, thank you to everyone who's listening and all the things that allowed this to become reality. Yeah. Thank you so much to all of you. We'll see you next time. Bye.